Hello, hello, hello. You are welcome to this episode of my podcast, Back to Eden. I am your host, Sharon Takim, and I am so excited to be here and to be here for the first time in a while without a very cracked voice. So yes, glory to God on that. Uh, today's um, episode is going to most likely pluck at a few nerves. Um, is going to address something that I think that is necessary to address, which might be a source of unanswered questions in people's hearts as regards their faith journey, because sometimes there seems to almost be a dichotomy between what we think God is and how it plays out in life where we see things happen and then we have questions like, oh, why would God allow this or why would God do this? get those kinds of questions a lot and I I can't say that I'm an authority but I can answer in a sense just one aspect of that and I think that this episode if it has a title is going to be called fairness or justice where does God stand it's going to be much shorter but yes something along those lines and I think just right out the bat I will keep it simple and just say that one of the first things I was impressed in my heart to say that I think holds true in my experience with God and you know just having lived the number of years that I've lived so far is that we need to be clear about the character of God as it serves as the foundation for what we believe about God, what he can do, what he cannot do, what he will do, and how um, instances should play out, you know, in life. So I think I would say at this juncture that God is a just God, but he is not necessarily fair. Now, let me explain that in context. So as human beings, we have an innate sense of justice that plays out more along the lines of fairness oh it's not fair that this person does this and gets this results it's not fair that a person should be treated in this manner and that's how our sense of justice plays out now when it comes to god i believe that because of who he is and because of the standpoint from which he operates you know he's he's in the present he's in the past he's in the future all at once he's omnipresent he's omniscient he's omnipotent So his worldview is so much different from us that we can't use a word like fairness to describe his actions and situations. But what we do know that is that because he's the judge of the world and because integrity is what that sense of justice stands on, it is impossible for God to take a decision or an action that is not in its truest sense just decision that's why he's called the just judge i don't want to be technical so i'll probably start giving examples from here um let me start with there was one on my heart uh uh, help me with this spirit um i wanted to give an example yes thank you thank you so for instance something that gives credence to this is that as an educator one of the first things that we were taught was that there is a difference between equality and equity now a lot of us push for equality in you know in life in certain areas which is fine which is fantastic people should have rights but 
that's like the basic that's the minimum that's just um white and black it's like lady justice who is blindfolded and is holding a sword and scales like there are no nuances and i believe i said on this podcast before that life is extremely complex and extremely nuanced which means that fairness is not always fair in and of itself and i'll give an example um when we talk about equity equity is usually a situation where everyone is giving what they need to be able to get a certain result while equality is everyone is giving the same thing and expected to reach a goal so what equality looks like is you're running a race and you put everyone same size like you put everyone of different sizes for instance you have an athlete you have a nursing mother you have someone that is clinically obese you know struggling with their health you have a child a toddler and you put them on the track and then you put Usain Bolt and then you say this is a hundred meter race there are no obstacles on the road first person to get there wins now what you've done is fairness in that across the board everybody got the same thing so you shared it equally no juror right but you know that even with the description that i just used with this picture i painted it's already unfair because you're not taking into account the health of the people you're not taking into account their strength you're not taking into account the different factors that might be hindrances to them making that hundred meters number one even finishing the race aside from finishing it first right and it's a problem i'm an educator at heart i try not to get too passionate on this because that's not the purpose but it's also the problem that we have in the school system where we put differently able people you have your neurodivergent people you have your neurotypical people you have your um, visual your auditory and your kinesthetic learners and you put all of them in the same class and give them the same content and you expect all of them to excel in the same way it's just not going to work that's a fair system but it's not an equitable system so that's where equity comes into play equity says um saying both first of all just leave this track leave this place this is not a race that you're supposed to be running then you look at the child and you say you know what i'm going to give you a motorized scooter um you are going to put on a hoverboard you are going to help by doing such and such and what you now do with equity is you give everybody the tools that they need customized to them to be able to finish that journey and that mission and i believe that that's what god does so in terms of fairness you can say god gives oxygen to everybody that's fair you breathe and that's fantastic right but in terms of the things that pertain to life fairness is not fair and god is too good and too just a god to use that as a benchmark for the things that he does so i really need um us to come out of the place where we say oh but god is not fair uh you know such and such happened and then this was my expectation and it didn't turn out that way therefore it means that god is not fair in his dealings with man number one i think that because i've explained that god is omnipotent omnipresent omniscient standing in the past present and future at the same time his perspective on issues is vastly different from ours so this means that we only see from a very limited standpoint while he has the complete picture so i need you to believe that whatever god does is good and the only way you're going to believe that is if you believe in his nature as the good god so you know if you're coming from this standpoint it will be 
God, I don't understand what's going on right now. But because I trust you to be a good God and the good God in every situation, I'm going to defer to your higher wisdom. I mean, it's okay to ask God questions. So you ask. So he says, um, um, so you can question God. I don't know where people got that from. You know, prove me now. God is a conversational God. He created us for intimacy and fellowship. So it doesn't make sense that he would not want you to ask questions. In terms of his judgments being righteous, yes, that's a place where we can say, you know, don't question his judgments in that sense. But you can ask for questions and best believe he's going to answer. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in the way that you want, but he does respond, right? So be, be comfortable enough to ask your father questions, trusting that, you know, he's going to answer. And I will give some examples of this, you know, scattered throughout scripture. Some of them, in hindsight, we may be able to understand. Some of them, still no answer. But a great example is, Jesus had 12 disciples who later became apostles, minus Judas, right? Of those 12 disciples, Thenes would be, there are 12 tribal, tribes of Israel. There are 12 disciples. Shebida space, let us do federal character. Levi, give me one disciple. Judah, give me one. Um, yes, Simeon, give me one. Reuben, give me one. And then it's equitable and fair. No, it's not equitable, it's fair. But check this. Of the 12 apostles, four came from two families. So you had two brothers on one end and two brothers on the other end. And they made up one third of the disciples, meaning that God went to one family and took two people and went to another family and took two people. And then I think there's even a higher concentration of different tribes in that. And when you look at that, it already tells you that God is not interested in our definition of fairness. But what he does is that before, scripture says that before Jesus picked his disciples, before he went, you know, and, and spoke to Peter and said, I'll make you official men, etc., etc., he prayed all night. So it means that that decision was divinely breathed. It was the right decision in that circumstance, even though it was not fair in that sense. Another fantastic example, we look at the lives of David and Saul. God just saw Saul and said, Samuel, anoint this guy. That's the king of the Jews, right? And then, but, but, let me start from here. Context. Israel was never supposed to have a king. Excuse me. God was their source, their king, their everything. Then they looked at the people around them and they say, no, we want a king. And God is like, okay. Since you don't want me, it's fine. I'll get you king. And then he picks Saul. Now, from all indications, Saul, scripture says that Saul stood a head and shoulders above everybody else. So Saul was your TDH, the tall, dark, handsome guy. And at the time they chose him, he was quite humble because when they wanted to anoint him, he was hiding. You know, he was obedient as an obedient son. His father's donkey got lost. He went with his servant to find the donkey, and that's how he came across Samuel. And Samuel anoints him, and then you know he's turned into another man and he becomes king. And all of a sudden, he does one thing in our estimation. He does one thing. 
and God is like, I'm done with this guy. And you're like, ah, and you know, I think that we in the New Testament, we underestimate just how lucky, fortunate, blessed we are that Jesus has come. And we don't have to leave the rules of the Old Testament as they were given to Moses. Because, ah, anyways, I digress. Now, enter David. <laughs> David is such an interesting guy. Such an interesting guy. And, you know, he's a teenager. And God sent Samuel to anoint him. And even Samuel could not even believe that that was the person. Because if he literally went from one to seven. And he's like, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God is like, he did why. And then he goes to the next one. And he's like, this has to be the guy. And God is like, don't play with me. And then that's where we now get the scripture. For man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then he goes and he picks David. And David is anointed as a teenager, but spends the next decade and a half running from Saul. Now, remember he's anointed. Remember that Saul had been told, look, you're dumb, right? But God still expected a higher standard from David, which was why when he had the opportunity to kill Saul and he did not, there was honor in that for him. He still called Saul the Lord's anointed, even though he had been anointed in his place, right? I don't want to go into details because here we're just talking about fairness and justice. Eventually, in his 30s, he becomes king after a very sad um, ending for Saul and he becomes king and then David this same David that you think that his time of running and suffering and writing psalms has pruned him sufficiently he starts to move mad and then he goes and he takes somebody's wife and it's almost like he didn't care and then imagine how wild it was that this my guy knew he had done something wrong I knew that this girl is pregnant and then he was willing to let another man raise his child <laughs> anyways Uriah comes back and Uriah is just such a faithful guy that he says you know what I can't be sleeping with my wife when there's battle at the front I will sleep at the king's gate and I was like this guy is not getting the program and then he um, commands Job to put him where he will die so in essence he commits murder now what did Saul do sacrifice David literally engineered the death of another human being to cover up his sexual sin which led to a pregnancy now if you read the bible and I love the bible it's just interesting it first says he took Bathsheba's Uriah's one Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And then God sends Nathan to him. And in essence, God is saying, David, why? What would you have wanted I would not have given you? Why would you do this? And you know, David is contrite and he's um, apologetic and he's like, God, I'm so sorry. Just let this child live. And God's like, nope. And the reason why God said no is not because God killed the child. If you read the scripture well, when Nathan came to meet him and asked him, what should be done to this man that stole the sheep? He told him that he should pay with his own, right? 
so he pronounced his judgment and that judgment stood and the child died but what did he do the moment the child died he just cleaned his face said the lord give it and take it away he went to eat and then this guy went back again to Bathsheba. now you would imagine that in that context it would be get behind me you know all things are passed away every reminder of my sin every reminder of my past you are gone in a mighty name of jesus avoid me but this time scripture says and he went into Bathsheba, his wife so um there's so many layers and so many things that you can bring out of there but when you look at the story on the surface it looks like what did saul do that was so bad that david did not do in equal measure and even more but david is called the man after god's heart now if you read the story well in hindsight you'll see that the one thing that was Saul's undoing was that he esteemed the people more than he esteemed the God that sent him. Whenever David ran into trouble, he went straight back to the God that anointed him. Um, uh, whenever, in fact, it was so bad that when he was struggling with um, demons tormenting him, he didn't look for a solution with God. It was one of his servants that said, Oh, David can play. The Spirit of God is on him, so, you know, let's see whether he will help. When he was going to go into battle, the one thing that God said, do not go to necromancers, he went there. So, even when Saul told him, I'm sorry, when Samuel told Saul, the kingdom is taken away from you this day, what did um, Saul do? Saul was not apologetic, he was not repentant. All he said was, eh, don't disgrace me in front of these people. Maybe you follow me so that you, you think that you're still with me. And that just gives you a sense of the kind of person that he, he was. And maybe, just maybe, that's why he was removed in the manner that he, he was. But if you look at it from a human perspective, you can say that that situation was not fair. Because if we estimate the amount of offenses that were committed, you would say David committed more offenses than so. I could go on and on. How about Rahab that was, in a sense, a Gentile, she was a prostitute, she was all these things, but she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. How about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabitess, and the Moabites were born out of incest between Lot and his daughter, because scripture says um, um, when, they were, when they went to Zor and then they went to the mountains, the, the daughters now said, there's no man who let our father give us children so that he continue his lineage and then they had Ammon and they had um, which were the Amorites and then they had um, Moab which the Moabites came from so it was their bloodline in a sense was incestuous, it came out of something that was not supposed to be now God looks at that and he says Ruth you are going to and it's so interesting that Ruth the Moabite has now ended up marrying Boaz, the son of the prostitute. And then both of them together created children that were in the lineage of the living God himself. And I think that that just goes to show you that the only reason we're alive, the only reason we are able to call God Father is because his innate sense of justice is not like ours and it's not fair in the way that we think it should be right 
so and i think that this also comes into play where we see things happen and we're like god why are you not you know judging this thing why are you not addressing it and i was telling a friend of mine i was like (laughs) do you honestly think that god lets his servants get away with stuff his punishment for not punishment but his judgment for when his people go out of line is so much more severe than you could ever imagine you just from the outside it just doesn't look that way like for instance moses moses kept tolerating the israelites he even when god was done and he's like look let's let's wipe these guys i'll just start again with you i didn't even know her before let's just start again and moses is like no lord as if he begged for them that is how they now provoked him again and he got upset and he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock the one time that he did not do according to God's instruction because don't forget he received the pattern for the the ark of covenant and the tabernacle in the wilderness and he was able to so accurately interpret it that the glory of God was able to dwell meaning it was an exact replica of what was in heaven this same guy does one thing in our head just one thing that is easily forgivable compared to what the Israelites have been doing over and over and God says for this that you've done you are not entering the promised land highest I can do for you is you receive it but you you are not entering and scripture says Moses eyes were not dim his strength was not so Moses was as strong and as capable as anything and he would have gotten into the promised land on his own strength but God is like no we are done so do we honestly think that i mean god is slow to anger and you know quick to forgive and all of these things but his innate justice system ensures that justice is carried out many times mercy covers for sure and which is why all of us need to rely on god's mercy because i feel like a lot of people that always say it's not fair and they want to see people punished many of the time if god punishes you the way that you deserve or maybe it's because you feel like oh my own is just lying this person did something that is so much worse sin is sin to god so we are on the same level because it's a transgression you've fallen short of the image and the glory of god whether it's by telling a white lie or it's by doing something as big as killing somebody makes no difference right so i think that that's also something that we need to be conscious of but in that God's justice system, don't forget the child of Bathsheba and David, the first child, died. So it's not like God is letting people get away scot free. You have no idea his dealings with people. So when you look from the outside, remember that God that is the judge is the just God and he mets out justice. And that justice is based on so many factors, many of them we cannot see. And we cannot understand of our own steam and our own merits because we are not omniscient we are not omnipresent we are not omnipotent we don't stand in past present and future at the same time like he does right so i feel like that's a very important point to make um you look at so many examples in scripture god sent elijah to do something elijah was sulking like he was literally sulking and then he now went and said, I'm your only servant in this place. Only people have followed back. And God is like, 
I have 7,000 that are not bound. The fact that I'm using you doesn't mean I don't have other people that I can use, right? And then he told Elijah, okay, I'm taking you. Go anoint these three people over Israel. You know what Elijah did? He went and he was passing Elisha and he just threw his mantle there and walked away. That's not what God told him to do. So even in his disobedience, God still carried chariots of fire and took him. I think I'll still do a an episode on Jonah specifically. I've done like a write-up, but I feel like I need to do a podcast. So I will not talk about Jonah now. But all I'm trying to say is that if you trust God, which is why it's important to know him, like I said at the beginning, what you know about him will influence how you look at matters and how you, in your own mind, judge his decisions on certain things so i think that as we mature we need to start coming to a place where we no longer say things like oh but god is not fair because if if god was fair to you or to me or to any of us none of us will be alive none of us whether your sin is great or small and if you're in a place where you feel like and I don't do too badly, I'm trying. It means that you are in the worst sin of all, which is pride, because you're saying that you're saying that you don't do too badly. It means that Jesus didn't really need to die for you because I mean it's not necessary. What are you doing that's so bad? So you are disdaining the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Sin is sin, and it means that you don't understand what it means when God says righteousness. It means that you do not understand God's expectation of us living out the life as children of God on the earth. So, before you pass judgment, before you say that things are not going according to how you desire them to be, before you impute your humanity to God, because so I was in a service yesterday and the lady said that human beings, part of our idolatry is we make God in our image. Not that we make um, images into God, we make God in our own image. So, we impute our humanity on Him. So, when things happen that don't go the way that we expect or we expect let's say some kind of judgment or stuff to happen to people and it doesn't happen the way that we want we now impute our own humanity on him by saying oh so you are saying in the case of a human being his partiality is because he likes his person that's why he's doing this this way god is not your dad apologies if your dad was a good man fantastic congratulations god does not do favoritism God shows favor and he shows mercy, but he shows everyone favor and mercy to the measure that they require because he is a just God and he is equitable in his dealings with man. So best believe that anything you see, anything you hear, anything you know is a very small fraction of the full story. You don't know. And because you don't know, you need to allow God to be God in that situation. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand why this is going the way that it is. I really don't get it. But I will defer to your wisdom because I believe that you are the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Standing in past, present, and future. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. So if you decide that this is how this situation should go, then I defer to your superior judgment and your superior outlook. Again, because you trust him. And the scripture has said that all things work together for the 
good of them that are, that love God, that are called according to His purpose. So it means that whatever it is that you're going through, I, I mean, this is especially specifically for someone that may have felt cheated, right? Or may have felt that justice was not carried out in something that was done to you or in a matter in how things played out. No that God is just and if he allowed something to happen don't forget the human factor don't excuse yourself from anything because we play a great role in the things that happen to us because God has given earth to man and he has allowed us to make to have autonomy and make our decisions so many times many of the things that we do are simple cause and effect but if at all you did everything that you're supposed to do or let's say you obeyed an instruction and it didn't turn out how you or it just blew up whatever it is know that whatever God allows is for a higher purpose look at um, um, Joseph and his brothers Joseph was going to die they were ready to kill him if not for the mercy of God that allowed him to be thrown into the pit now um, after he was thrown into the pit he went to Potiphar's house then he went to prison and in that instance you would say but God is not fair you gave this boy this dream why would you not put him through all of this and by the time he became prime minister first of all god restored everything that he thought he had lost first secondly not secondly second apologies uh, i'm still an english teacher um second that process that god allowed birthed something in joseph so that the same boy that was running his mouth about the things that he has seen and sharing his dreams and not reading the room, not failing to understand his context in that these boys you are talking to are children of the wife that was not loved. Your mom was a favorite wife. Even when she died, your father refused to recover and you are coming to tell them that they've always known that their mom and they, in consequence, have always been second best. You're the firstborn, you're the star of the show in your father's heart. You're, you're, his, you're his heart. And you're coming to tell them again that they're going to bow to you. He didn't read the room. That same guy, by the time he met his brothers again, was crying. It means that all the experiences he had brought brokenness in him so that he was able to handle that situation differently. And he was able to be conformed to the image that God designed. So whatever has happened to you that is unpleasant or not pleasurable, know that if God allowed it is to work out an eternal weight of glory for you. Because fairness would have been God not allowing Jesus to suffer. He didn't die. He, he didn't sin rather. But every single thing that happened from the time that Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane to when he arose on the third day had some benefit for us, right? So I think that we need to start reimagining and rethinking our versions of justice. And to now even make it more interesting, after Joseph became prime minister and everything, guess what? The Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not the lion of the tribe of Joseph. So you say, uh-uh, after everything, God should have just used Joseph because, you know, it was... God did not. So do you want to say that? I mean, and Judah's own was very interesting because the child, the children that, that led to the lineage of Jesus, he had them with his daughter-in-law. 
that he slept with thinking was a prostitute. So it's a very convoluted, very interesting story. But the point is that in our mess, God is there. And you have no right to expect the mercy of God when you have stood in the place of judgment over another person or over the decisions that you think that God is making or over what you can see about a situation or a circumstance. That's why scripture says, judge not lest you be judged. Because if you judge, you don't have the full picture. By the time you say the things you say, if God uses that same standard to judge you, you will not survive it. Look at the friends of Job. They came and they were saying all this and all that and all that. When God came to answer them, it was not funny, right? And in their heads, they thought they were right. They were like, Job, you must have seen. You can't tell us you didn't see. Nobody suffers like this for no reason. But guess what? Job was suffering like that for no reason. So I think that it's important that we don't reduce God to our standpoint and to our standard of what is fair and what is right and what is just because it means that we're misrepresenting him. And that will now show up when people ask us questions that we can't answer. And because we don't know the nature and the character of God, we misrepresent him further to other people, right? So the summary of this is that it's important to trust the judgment of God, to trust him as the righteous judge, to trust him to handle issues, to understand that his ways truly are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We don't see like him, not because he doesn't want us to see like him, which is why we have the Holy Spirit, which many times will minister things to our hearts, but it depends on what we can receive. So sometimes all we're able to receive is his peace, right? It doesn't mean he, he doesn't have so much more. When he was going to destroy um, Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall I hide a thing from my servant Abraham? right our scripture says he conversed with moses face to face as one with a friend so god is not trying to hide himself we're just not open and curious enough to let him show himself we're so quick to impute bad things to him some a tragedy happens in your life most of us our first first thing that comes out of our mouth is god why but i serve you but i'm faithful but this so what do you want job to say so was it fair that Job went through all that he went through? Was it fair that Job lost everything in a day? Was it fair that Job lost 10 children at once? Was it fair that his skin was rough? Was it fair that someone that was so highly exalted was sitting on a rubbish heap and scraping his skin with broken pottery? No, it was not in our estimation. But God was working something out, something out in him. So by the time he went through that experience, the fear of everything, the fear which was the entry point for the devil, was gone, right? Because if you see, he kept saying um, he would do sacrifices for his children just in case any of them had seen. And then when all that happened, he said, That which I had feared the most has come upon me. But by the time he had everything restored, the worst that could happen had happened. And then he was finally free for the first time in his heart, asking. Abraham to sacrifice the son that he waited decades for was not fair by human standards and estimation but guess what the moment he allowed Isaac die in his heart before he raised that knife up best believe how he was raising Isaac afterwards was completely different because that tie 
that thing that made him so attached to Isaac that he would not have allowed Isaac become what God had intended. That's the carrier and the sustainer of the blessing before Jacob the multiplier. That thing died. So God was able to work on Isaac because Abraham was not holding on so tightly to him. But that only happened when Abraham allowed Isaac to die in his heart by being willing to sacrifice him. So let's not let's not make this. This is already a bit longer than I expected. Um, but yes, thank you for joining in today. As always, if you have questions, if you have comments, um, you can find my social media links and my phone number in my bio here on Spotify. Um, I think that it's also on Apple Podcasts. But if you go on my Instagram bio, there's a link tree. So if you have questions, you can always drop your questions there as well. And I really hope that this helps. Like I said, I know that many people will not be happy. And that's okay. It's okay. But what I do ask is that you give this word a chance to bear fruit in your heart. It might not be the answer that you wanted, but I hope that it gives you some sort of context and some sort of peace. That if you trust the righteous judge, he knows what he's doing. And best believe all his judgments and proclamations are just... Thank you for listening and I will see you next time. Bye.